Hey guys, welcome to a very special podcast episode. This is a presentation of part one of our special hashtag revenge of the, of the fifth. That's what the fifth revenge of the fifth commentary of Star Wars Episode 3. Uh, we had a fantastic time doing it, um, but I just want to say a big shout out and thank you to all of the fine people supporting this podcast on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Star Wars Report is where you can normally find a bunch of cool bonus content like Rogue Transmissions, but this week in celebration of Revenge of the Fifth, go ahead and down the full mp3 commentary so that you can sync up and watch along with your disney plus subscription uh, that's available at patreon.com slash star wars report otherwise enjoy this part one podcast here in the main feed uh, and we'll be back next week with part two of episode three revenge of the sith on may 19th the jedi must unite Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. To fight the ultimate battle. Against the evil Sith Lord. And his new apprentice, Darth Vader. Oh, no. Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Rated PG-13. Let's do a podcast, guys. It is... Now, hashtag Revenge of the Sith. It's happening, guys. Welcome to the Star Wars Report Podcast. We're talking all things uh, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, as we get ready to do our commentary episode uh, on this, the day, May 5th. Forget yesterday. We don't care. Uh, it's all prequels. Because <laughs> we actually, um, I was talking, by the way, welcome, I'm Riley Blanton, host of the podcast. Uh, let's, let's actually do the introductions. Uh, right next to me, here in uh, uh, the temporary studio that we have constructed in our apartment living room, uh, is my wife, uh, joining me for the first time on the Star Wars Report podcast, <laughs> Savannah. Hey. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Are you excited? I mean, sure. <laughs> and that's the start. No, it's going to be a good time. We we have some uh, Moe's queso that we went out and got, made some um, adult beverages, uh, had some tacos earlier. You did this amazing setup. You surprised me when I got home from work, and I, we posted some pictures of it, of this hashtag Revenge of the Fifth party, complete with balloons, memes, and posters. It's pretty amazing. So well done. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, let's also bring in, uh, of course, Mr. Bruce Gibson. How's it going, Bruce? Oh, we lost you, Bruce. You're muted. I believe Am in you. I'm mute. There you go. <laughs> I've been having problems. Like, as soon as the podcast started, I got, like, knocked off, and now I'm back on. So I'm so mm. confused. Yes. But yes. I'm all good now because I'm here. Welcome, sir. Welcome, sir. Uh, it's good to have you back on the, on the podcast. And joining us once again is Mr. Aaron Goins. Hello. Hi, hi. Welcome. <coughs> Excited for some prequels talk? Let's do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love the prequels. I just watched uh, Attack of the Clones last night. Oh, in preparation? No, my oh. son's kind of watching them for the first time again. The first ah. time that he's old enough to remember. Gotcha. That's fair. That's fair. We should have had Quinn on for commentary. That would actually, that was some Quinn commentary. I thought about sweet. it, but my, the problem is trying to set up a TV where... He could hear it, but mm. it didn't mess up the audio for the podcast. It would be yeah. like a whole issue. So he was pretty upset. But yeah, how old is Quinn? He's he's eight. Ah, uh, we were discussing mm. yeah 
when I saw Revenge of the Sith, which was in theaters, so I would have been... 2005? Yeah. Okay. I saw it, like, the next year after it was in theaters. Um, How old were you, Bruce? I was not 11. (laughs) I would have been, like, 38. Mm, Yes. Something like that. Oh, and look, and there he is. 25. Let's let's bring him in uh, for the Wampus Lair podcast. Welcome back to the Star Wars Report, Mr. Carl LeClaire. How's it going, man? I've never been here before. I'm confused. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> That's good to talk to you, man. It's been too <laughs> long. How's it going? Good, buddy. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Just like just like Aaron with his perfect hair well i guess that's not what makes us the same because his hair is perfect and it's not <laughs> but just like aaron i also watched attack of the clones last night with some friends for uh star wars day oh nice wait attack of the were you watching it in preparation for this podcast no we just somebody we've, uh, I've, I've been doing like a star wars movie group with some friends every weekend and oh been doing the movie we've only done one we did revenge of the sith a few weeks ago and then we just did attack of the clones so nice nice i love it i love it well gents i'm gonna have to to yeah it's good to have you Uh, i'm gonna have to ask that's like the that's the movie of choice i guess for star wars day is attack of the clones i guess so that seems to be the evidence not because of this podcast though Exactly. Uh, Gents, I'm going to have to ask you, as we, speaking of technology uh, and Zoom parties and stuff, uh, we're going to have to shut off video just for the fidelity of the uh, uh, of the call. I know, I know. Right? We're going to have to not see each other's faces, but it'll be all be worth it as we get ready to queue up Revenge of the Sith, which is what we're watching tonight. Um, here, all you got to do, we're going to be watching the Disney Plus version. Zero out uh, Revenge of the Sith on Disney Plus, and I'll do a quick countdown. Three, two, one, go. And it's super simple. You just hit play. When I say go. So let's not delay one moment more. Uh, here we go. Episode three, Revenge of the Sith in three, two, one, go. And I probably have all of my, uh, oh, there it is. Yep. Hearing the, seeing the Fox logo and we're off. Gents, welcome. Uh, let me actually ask, uh, I, I wanted to kick off the discussion this way because uh, it's going to be kind of a loose commentary because we've, we've done one for the film before. But certainly not since the Clone Wars uh, finale that literally just happened yesterday. Uh, so, you know what, Bruce? I'll bring you in first. Uh, as we start off Revenge of the Sith, how has the Clone Wars series as a whole, not necessarily just the, um, not just the most recent uh, episodes, informed your view of episode three? Ooh, wow. Because, you know, I haven't really watched episode three in a while, but uh, I did a rewatch of the Clone Wars this year in preparation for this new season. So, um, I don't know. You know, that's a good, uh, you know, ask me that after. Because, yeah. again, I haven't really watched this since I've done my rewatch of the Clone Wars, but I think, if anything, it's enhanced it, mm. you know, over time. Well, I'll, I'll just because you know what leads into it, how you know what happens between Attack of the Clones and this movie, you've got all the things that fill that in. Well, let me um, I'll toss it to you, Carl, because you did actually just recently uh, rewatch it. I know that was right before we saw these Ahsoka episodes, but I think that as as huge Clone Wars fans, at least in, uh, speaking for me, it definitely has added to the experience in some ways. How has it changed for you? <laughs> With the Clone Wars? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'll be honest, most of the ancillary material doesn't often do much to add to the movie experience for me, if I'm being 100% honest. Because mm-hmm. um, they feel like totally different things. Um, an animated cartoon just doesn't feel the same as a movie. Um, and I, I don't mean that in like in a disparaging way, but yeah, um, like intellectually, I think like, oh man, um, right? Like just the day before Anakin like goes back to Coruscant to, to rescue the Chancellor, he sees his old Padawan. Imagine how that must be like playing with his emotions and his his feelings and his thoughts. And I can think about that a lot and I love thinking about that. But as soon as I watch the movie, I just don't think about it. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know why. Um, but uh, all right. So can I can I already can I start this by yeah. giving a very unpopular opinion? Oh, uh, let's do it. Let's listen. Come out swinging, man. The finale episode of Clone Wars was so underwhelming to me. Oh, me I, I was so no disappointed by it. <laughs> Savannah so. sitting here, it's just like, that's actually what you said. Like, I was like, wait, that was it. And I was like, but did Darth Vader. Yes. Darth Vader. Yeah, it's not Darth Vader's story. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it is Darth it was, Vader. I thought it was a really poor choice to end with him. He ignited the lightsaber saying goodbye and he went yeah (laughs) but like why is that important (laughs) but it went (laughs) so i agree with carl it's It's the end of anakin's story with the clone wars too true but it shouldn't have ended on him i don't think Mm. so like so my my big so the siege of mandalore was phenomenal definitely like the the previous three episodes i felt them i loved them but then that last episode with it basically being a 20 minute escape scene i'm like how is this the last episode mm. i felt nothing so that's why um I, I have not found so aaron i'm glad to hear that i'm not alone in that because i've yet to hear, everybody keeps giving me crap for it wow, i um, i kind of but, felt and i'm not saying it was bad or like that i hated it i just yeah like, like when it ended i was like that was it seriously and i i have not rewatched it because i just don't feel any need to <laughs> i was like all right cool that's how they end the story um, it was like ahsoka and rex fighting against clones yeah and then they went to a new level and they were fighting against more clones and they went down a different hallway and they're fighting yeah. against more clones and, and then they went to the bottom level and they're fighting against some more clones and there wasn't even and a boss right like this is the final level. episode of this series like yeah where was the boss right where was the boss maul just runs away yeah uh, and for anyone who's like a huge maul fan i wouldn't be surprised if they're disappointed <laughs> mm. well, well maul in the last episode the third episode maul was amazing like absolutely Absolutely. The yeah. previous three episodes I thought were all like pure gold. The last one was like a just like a decent Clone Wars episode. Um, I mean, I I'd say I mean I'd say it's a good to great Clone Wars episode. But you're right. I, to me, it didn't have the sense of finality, finality to yeah. it. Like I liked it yeah, a lot. It, but I, and I'll say this right, like it's it's so hard to do a finale. So I I don't mean to like come across like a jerk or anything, but. Um, I mean, right. Like that's the biggest, the biggest downfall to episode nine is having to try to finish this nine part saga. Like that's a hard thing to do. Um, so finishing a TV show that's been beloved for over a decade, like that's tough to do. Um, Aaron, Aaron, is there, I will say, Mm -hmm. God, sorry. Oh no, no, I was just I was just gonna say sorry because we're working with a little delay guys, but, but I, you, you made me think Carl and, and I want to ask you, Aaron, is this, is, was it possible to wrap up the Clone Wars neatly with the concurrent events of Revenge of the Sith? Because listen, the story of Revenge of the Sith took place and happened long before George Lucas ever conceived of the story of Ahsoka Tano. Was it just impossible to try to thread those needles um, together and have it fit in a satisfying way? Was it just too much to ask? No, I don't think it was, it was impossible once you saw the first 
few episodes of the Siege of Mandalore. You saw what they were doing with it, and you're like, holy cow, like this, it was so much cooler than I even expected it was going to be, and kind of how they were tying it in with Revenge of the Sith. Um, so for me, it was a satisfying ending overall. Just that final episode just felt a little off. And I, you know, I kind of get what Carl's talking about. I, I just feel like there were some more moments that they could have put in between, because we know kind of what happens with Ahsoka and Rex and how they kind of fake their own death, deaths and all of that. And there could have been more time put into like that scene and them talking about what their plan was and kind of having a, that more emotional impact with these characters and kind of saying their final goodbyes. I just felt like a lot of time was wasted in the in that final episode. Mm. It's interesting because Savannah, you didn't know you haven't seen Rebels, so you were waiting. I think for Ahsoka to die, that was your expectation. Well, I just was like, she's not in any of the other movies, so she's either gonna die off, or I don't. I mean, I don't know what would happen. Yeah. Well, and and it's one of those things that it's tough to have stakes for a character that doesn't appear in the film. But as we watch the film, I, I think that's one thing that we kind of wondered about Revenge of the Sith uh, in the context of the Clone Wars, not the series, but the concept, the Clone Wars that we'd been hearing about since, you know, New Hope. Um, it, it, in that way, we never really get to see, we see the very beginning of the Clone Wars at the end of Attack of the Clones, and then this is capping off the very end of it, which, here's a fun little fact. The, um, this version of Revenge of the Sith, this opening act, kept changing in the various scripts for Revenge of the Sith, um, which I didn't really know. I'd never really followed the behind the scenes much until I was, I was digging into um, the book, The Secret History of Star Wars, talks a little bit about the prequels and the production timeline for them. But the first draft of the opening of Revenge of the Sith that we're watching right now was a montage of battles across the galaxy. Um, that concept kind of was morphed into the Order 66 sequence later, but it is there was going to be more of a presence of um, the war, uh, but that's, we, that's what we got to see more of, I guess, in the Clone Wars since we had an opportunity to have those stories expanded a bit because Revenge of the Sith ends up very much focusing on, I think, Anakin Skywalker as the tragic figure. I don't know. Can I make a quick point about the yeah. little fight that they have there in the hangar when they crash land? Yeah. The thing I love in this movie is there's a lot of this opening battle that mirrors the opening battle on the Trade Federation ship in Phantom Menace, right? Um, like, by the way, I don't know if I'm exactly cued to where you are because my stupid Disney Plus app died oh. on me. So I, I'm just guessing that <laughs> oh, we're close. We're near yeah. the same place. Um, but right when they're defending themselves from the 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 super battle droids um right that's such a mirror yeah. of obi-wan and qui-gon but also when they're in the hangar fighting anakin and obi-wan like they're having a conversation like this is nothing to them right whereas like when qui-gon and obi-wan are fighting them we're like so invested in the fight where it seems like uh obi-wan and anakin this is just like a, something to check off right like th this is nothing to them um so i guess to me like what that kind of highlights is the Jedi of Phantom Menace, like every fight, there's an intentionality to it. Whereas here, th these are two Jedi that have been in a war for a few years now. So it's just like clean up spare parts. Um, I don't know if, am I making any sense? Yeah, no, I, I think so. Because th there's, um, there's almost a kind of glibness to it, which I guess in the context of the Clone Wars, um, 
makes a little more sense because we see Ahsoka's criticism of the Jedi as, as war fighters that, you know, she basically admits ever since I've been, I don't know what, 14, 15, uh, through her teenage years, she's just been a war fighter. And you oh. get to see some of like Hayden Christensen's personality come out a little bit. Cause that's the, a big, there's a pretty stark difference between the way Hayden Christensen plays Anakin mm. and the way that Matt Lanter plays Anakin. And at least at the intro of Revenge of the Sith, you get a little bit of that man, Matt Lanter kind of cockiness. Yeah, that is true. We need to be going up, not down. So, uh, all right, so indulge me, guys. I don't understand. I actually don't know the backstory or if there's a behind-the-scenes story for the uh, battle droid's voice changing from um, episode one to episode three and why they used to be the sort of robotic Roger, Roger to the Matt Wood Ranger, Ranger that we now hear all the time. Is there like a story why that changed? There's some kind of in-universe explanation? I honestly have no not, idea. Not that I'm not aware yet. of. Not that I'm aware I, of either. I, I don't know. It's something that's very, it stands out to me and yeah. it bothers me. I remember that being the case the first time I watched the movie. I'm like, what the heck is happening with the droids? That is so funny because I've never really noticed it until you just said that. <laughs> I never noticed the difference. Yeah. Well, even like the super battle droids in episode three have like a higher pitched, weirder voice than they even do in like the Clone Wars series. What's that? That nothing. So it's it's definitely not consistent on how the droid voices sound, but I guess maybe the yeah the manufacturers use different voice chips or whatever. Mm. If you want to have an in-universe explanation, yeah. Okay, now we get to the scene where I, I think it's the first example of Revenge of the Sith's um, struggle that I think it does well and sometimes doesn't do, do so well, and that is threading together all of these different characters and plot lines into one movie. And so you have the problem of the primary, you know, runner up bad guy, Count Dooku from attack of the clones, you know, the, literally the final scene in attack of the clones is here. And, and here we're faced with, well, we got to get rid of him. Like it's, this is literally in the first like 10, 15 minutes of the movie. We get in this epic confrontation between Anakin, Obi-Wan and Count Dooku and it's an important step in in Anakin's fall. Um, you know, I'm, can I just point out one mm-hmm. of the best lines in the movie that we skipped over? Oh yeah, yeah, hit me. Wait, is it is Sith it lords are Sith our speciality? Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so in preparing for today, I looked at probably two hundred prequel memes, and that one's utilized a lot. It's a great one. Yeah, the, the meme expertise brought by Savannah. Yes, exactly. It is. Oh, and I love how Palpatine's just kind of like cheering on uh, Anakin there. He's like, yes, yes, get him. Yeah, he's rooting him on like he's watching a sporting event. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think. This part here, so when Obi-Wan's legs get crushed by that platform. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't your leg just be completely severed off at that point? <laughs> Aaron, you're me. This is every time we watch anything, I'm like, what it? But. 
but really <laughs> what movie were we watching the ridiculous like drug lord movie with the guy and the cars the cars the fast oh fast and furious movies no yeah it turns out the fast and furious movies are not the like standard of realism <laughs> <laughs> and why did Obi Wan get knocked out there? So I was, we were talking about how me and Carl watched Attack of the Clones last night together, and <laughs> in that movie, there's kind of a similar thing where they're fighting Dooku, and and Anakin gets knocked out, like because his arm gets cut off. Yeah. And I was thinking, like earlier in the movie, you see um, the bounty hunter girl that I'm blanking on her name, Zam Wessel. Zam mm-hmm. Wessel gets her limb cut off, and she's completely fine. She's just mm-hmm. like, okay, whatever. Anakin gets his arm cut off and he's out. He's out for the whole fight. And he gets and then a, here, he gets same thing happens sh- to Obi Wan. Like, what are the, mm. these Jedi don't know how to like? And I'm blowing past the whole decapitation scene, but <laughs> that's <whatever>. all right. <laughs> well, yeah, because right now you expect Dooku, even though he lost his head, he should be still up I mean, and walking up, around. You just lose one body part. Get up. Yeah. <laughs> Twice the pride, double the fall. <laughs> but like, sometimes I do. I'm not gonna lie, guys. I I sometimes wonder if. George was trying to was biting, biting off more than he could chew by adding Grievous as an additional villain here because I, I I remember the first time I watched Revenge of the Sith kind of expecting Count Dooku to be the villain that would be through like most of the movie that like Anakin would kill and replace in like a dramatic middle act you know right before he becomes Darth Vader thing that was the thing I remember you know back to 15 year old me thinking would be the case and and part of me is like it's christopher freaking lee you have this incredible opportunity for this super cool nuanced former jedi like his story's interesting and it does really die short here in revenge of the sith because we got to move on and then grievous is introduced as the foil for obi-wan um that kind of pulls him out of the picture from the narrative maybe that's why george revisited dooku a lot in the clone wars series like yeah. maybe there wasn't you know, he felt like there was some story to be told there. Yeah. It, it seems like he felt that way about uh, Darth Maul, too, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> bring bring <laughs> him to, we know. literally back from the dead. That's so, basically the purpose of the know, Clone Darth Wars. Darth Maul's actually, he's, you know, he's out there hanging out on Mandalore right now. Like, yeah. right. how much would that, that have blown our minds back in 2005? I just have to tell I have to tell you guys when I watched Clone Wars for the first time you should have seen Riley just staring at me during the episode that Darth Maul comes back. I just want to know what your reaction would be. He was so excited to see my reaction cuz I was like there's no way. Why? Why would why would he? Spider? Why is he spider? <laughs> That's true. That's true. I got to say I love the imagery. All right, so uh deep cut reference uh uh, any you know super star wars fan probably knows i'm i may be retreading some territory but with george lucas being a super fan of the old swashbuckling movies of the you know 40s and 50s to include like the errol flynn movies um like those old pirate ship swashbuckling movies i love how the idea and of course we see it in pirates of the caribbean now and in, in more modern a more modern example but the idea of two ships coming alongside each other and opening fire and you know star wars it's basically like two sea galleons uh separatist uh you know cruiser versus a republic cruiser and that imagery is just so freaking cool and we'd never seen anything like that in star wars yeah, the space battles in this movie, especially in this kind of intro, look, they're just amazing. And they actually hold, you know, they hold up well this many years later. You can't say the same for all the effects in this movie. 
Yeah. But the special the special effects specifically around the space battles actually look still looks great. Mm. <laughs> R2. Uh, uh oh. Did anybody watch the uh, the Gendi Tartakovsky animated series? Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. I remember when they introduced Grievous in that series. Uh huh. And so good. It kind of ruined him for me in episode three because he was so like he was just so intimidating and just taking out Jedi so easily. And then this movie came along, and like I mean, he's intimidating in this movie, but he just wasn't quite the same. Mm. Oh. So, so with you on that, Aaron. Well, why did they cut? If they had kept the the assassination of Shakti, he would have been a much more credible threat. Shakti had like three death scenes in this movie, all of which were deleted. <laughs> yeah, poor Shakti. And, and then she had a death scene in in um, Force Unleashed, which was then cut out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, but like Aaron was saying, and and I'm so in agreement. Right when we first meet Grievous in the Tarakovsky series. He's terrifying. Like, he's this monster that hunts the Jedi and, mm. and crushes them. They kind of tremble. They're afraid of him. And then we get what we get in here, and he's not even remotely scary. I was <laughs> expecting someone of your reputation to be older. I'm like, you think that's a, a zinger? <laughs> that's, a, that's his insult? Well, from what I've heard, that George didn't want Grievous to be as terrifying. That's why he added the cough, cough to him. That okay. he's ill and not doing because they they want he wanted to build it up as if like then Vader is the more terrifying of the villains eventually, and he was afraid that yeah. Grievous would come across more terrifying than Vader. And he didn't want that to happen. Mm. He he is the the prelude. I remember that George saying that in some of like the behind the scenes and um you know it cut maybe it was the commentary about how yeah Grievous is like a preview of Darth Vader. Uh, put some cops in there instead of yeah. heavy breathing. Uh, he's gonna have these magna guards. They're like, they're like Jedi droids. He's gonna like be beheaded, but he'll still fight. It's gonna be really cool. George is such a kid. <laughs> you can just see that in the in like a production meeting somewhere. You know, it must be pretty cool. It'd be really funny if the EOP farts. <laughs> <laughs> Here, it would sound like this. No. <laughs> I thought it would be like maybe in the back half of the movie where it disintegrated to this point, but it's already happened, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, um, so I actually just finished rereading the Revenge of the Sith novel oh. um, yeah. with some friends, which bar none, I think is, it's just my favorite novel. The best. Of, of all, like not yes. just Star Wars, just in general. Um, I wish Matt Stover could get tapped to rewrite all the sequel trilogy novels because they all were pretty not good, um, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Force Awakens was, to me, unreadable. Alan Dean Foster is a terrible author. Um, Ooh, shots fired. But, uh, Ooh, no. I just yeah. interviewed him on Thursday. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure he's a great guy. He just he doesn't know how to write a good story. Um, but... Uh, Last Jedi was okay, and Ray Carson's Rise of Skywalker was also just okay. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing I loved about what Matt Stover does, right, is he really takes us into 
the heads of these characters. He he kind of enflushes them in a way that the movies couldn't. And I think mm. that's what a good movie novel ought to do. Right? We've seen the movie. We don't need you to just retell us the plot and tell us the action that we could watch on a screen. Yeah. Give us something different, right? Like um and I was this is what we uh, me and some friends were talking about the other day is um, and, and this is obviously opinions, but in my opinion, and this is why I don't like a lot of the new Star Wars books in general, um, Star Wars to me, first and foremost, will always be a visual medium. I'd rather watch Star Wars than read it or anything else. Um, so I don't need like a 20-page battle scene in a book because I'm bored by page two. But I'll read a 20-page like inner monologue with like abandoned because it's like wow i'm learning something very explicit about this character that you can't visually see right so that's why i think like stover's novel does such a phenomenal job um is it really takes us into the drama of the characters rather than the drama Mm. of the action if that makes sense um and one thing i i picked out on for the first time because i've read the revenge of the sith novel a lot. <laughs> I yeah. used to re- read it every year. Um, but something I had never noticed until this time was when they're escaping from Invisible Hand here, uh, in the novel, Palpatine keeps trying to get Anakin and Obi-Wan to be separated. Yep. Even, and and I was like, oh my gosh. Because Palpatine's going to kill Obi-Wan. Like, it, it finally just like struck me that, of course, like, oh, Anna, Anakin won't leave him behind. So he tries to entice Anakin to go after Grievous on his own. He's like, you already took out Dooku. Grievous will be easy work. Why don't you go get him? Obi-Wan and I will go find a shuttle so we can get out of here. And I was like, oh, my God, he's going to off Obi-Wan if he gets alone with him. Um, and that would have been a cool element to see play out on screen. Yeah, they have, I guess, a think- version of that with the leave him, you know. Oh yeah, they they definitely hint at it, that that was his overall plan. I'm sure the book gets into it more. Um, did they? Do you guys think he's carrying his lightsabers around in that in that cloak? Oh yeah, or is he Come keeping on. them in his desk drawer? <laughs> mm, maybe he has uh, a a set, a fine addition to his collection, so to speak. Um, yeah. That all right. It's, it's interesting that they've introduced the idea of um, you know kind of these, these kyber crystals being somewhat force aware, and kind of connected to the force. Um, so you would think that like if he had one in his pocket, that the Jedi would be like, I sense a kyber crystal in his pocket. You know. Yeah, that's true. But did um isn't where did the concept of kyber crystals being bled for them turning red for Sith lords come from? Is that that's an EU thing, right, Aaron? Wasn't the Ahsoka novel, or did it come before yeah, that? Yeah, it's no, that's definitely new canon. I believe it's the Ahsoka novel. A novel. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah, because the Ahsoka novel also has purifying one. Hmm. That's how she gets her white blades. So. Right. Oh. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so this the Ahsoka novel was the the first thing to introduce us to that. Um, Which, as I understand, pretty loose and fast with those concepts, though. I, yes. Wasn't they're, there they're constantly changing their mind? I saw some buzz on the internet about the um, the storyline for Ahsoka and Captain Rex in in the novel not necessarily matching the um, the latest episode. Is that true? Oh yeah. If you so I I remember watching the episodes and thinking, hmm, this doesn't quite line up the way I remembered the Ahsoka novel. So I reread the prologue, which kind of recaps the fight between Ahsoka and Maul. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's completely, absolutely different than what we see in the Clone Wars. It's not even just like, oh, they changed this or changed. It's like not even the same. Mm. Thing. So well, they don't they, even really fight in the prologue. They're no, about to. She tricks but, him. Yeah, yeah, she kind of 
baits him and all this stuff, and then she gets him to go into some kind of shield thing. Um, there's no big battle between them at all. Um, and then same with the way that, that Rex and Ahsoka, you know, uh, apparently in the novel, there's a, a gravestone that Ahsoka like puts her lightsabers on top of, and that's Rex's grave. And he puts like a different clone's body in that grave with his armor. So people think he's dead. And then they leave the lightsabers there. So that people think Ahsoka's dead. Um, None of that happens in the show. So yeah, it's, I, they pretty much disregarded the Ahsoka novel, which I mean, it's fine. TV should yep. to, to an extent disregard other things. If it's going to tell a better story. Yeah. But the thing, but so yeah. And uh, I, and my thing would I'd say though to that Aaron is I think the novel told a better story, <laughs> um, you know, and, for that and, detail, yeah, exactly, yeah. and that's why I I guess right. So like in some ways it's like well we don't need to s- see the same thing we saw that we've already read right, um, and and with Grievous's cough right we kind of get um, two different takes on that in the Tarakowski series right we see Mace Windu kind of do this like force grab and it crushes his chest um and that's where the cough comes according to the terracosia series but in labyrinth of evil which is a novel that's a an immediate prequel to the to revenge of the sith um that detail's not in there at all mm. um so, great well, I guess it, it, doesn't book, really, it doesn't necessarily contradict it it's just not in there yeah um, but you do you still have mace windu fighting grievous for a brief time like on a on a space subway yep um <laughs> but yeah the thing with the ahsoka novel it was I'm with you, Aaron. Like it's it's fine that it's not there because just because just because we didn't see it doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen per se. Um, but again, it just goes back to the way they chose to finish it with showing Darth Vader. Like it was cool to see him, but I I would have preferred the closing to be Ahsoka and Rex making their final plans together. I think that would have been a bigger emotional payoff than oh hey look it's Darth Vader. Um, but that raises to me an interesting point too. I'm not even talking about Revenge of the Sith now. I apologize. No, you're good. You're good. Um, Listen, that's what this is. This is a casual conversation. Hang on, I've got a little bit more uh, sangria. Keep going. But it makes me think of like the end of Rogue One, right? When uh, folks still think that like the Darth Vader hallway scene is the greatest thing about that movie. It's like no, it's I, I, I it's really not. <laughs> it's not his story, right? Like that was like a cool sequence um, that was important to ending the story to show that like oh geez there's a real monster after them now but to me like the heart and the climax of that story is you know Jin and Cassian on the beach like that's the emotional payoff and it's so great that we get it and Vader is just like nice icing on the cake um and that's how I feel kind of about that closing Clone Wars episode it's like oh it's cool that Vader's in it but Oh, we're gonna we're gonna close on him. I thought this was the story of Ahsoka and Rex because that's what we'd been building for the previous three episodes. It's the story of that freaking bird, Carl. I'm getting the sense uh, you're not a big Darth Vader fan. <laughs> I hate him. He's the worst villain ever. Um, no, obviously I love Darth Vader, but um, yeah, it's just it just an interesting choice. Um, mm. oh, I think come. there's some fan service there, right? Like you know Definitely. they, you know it's. Especially, I mean, Rogue One, that hallway scene was there for one reason. Yes, and it's yeah. a reshoot for th- that reason, too, yeah. right? <laughs> it was cool. I, I liked it. It was cool. Yeah. But, yeah, you could have had that movie without that scene, and it would have been the same movie. Right. You don't need that scene. And I think the end with – I think as Filoni's thinking up the end of Clone Wars, and he's thinking, oh, wow, like this will blow fans' mind. They'll, they're going to see Darth Vader 
and like OT era stormtroopers in the Clone Wars. Like it's going to blow people's minds, you know. But yeah, I, I don't know. Somewhat big Vader fan, so I was kind of like, eh. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it brings that conversation again. This is not Revenge of the Sith. I apologize, friends. <laughs> um, but right, I think it's just it, the Padme it, balcony scene. Yeah. <laughs> I legit the, love the, the scene. Part. I have done so many episodes about this on the podcast. <laughs> I literally love the scene. Um, so I hate that I'm talking over it, but that's all right. I could recite it in my sleep. Um, <laughs> but but um, okay. right. I think that stuff with Darth Vader it raises the question about just like fandom in general, right? Like balancing nostalgia with new. Um, and I, and I think that's an important conversation that we need to have more often, right? Like, Oh, Darth Vader's at the end of this. This is such cool star Wars. It's like, okay, but do you just want cool star Wars or or do you want like deep new star Wars? (laughs) And I want deep new star Wars. Um, that can also be cool, but um, I, I'm, coming across, I'm coming across like know. a ch- I apologize. I don't mean to be like that. <laughs> no, 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 it makes it I, makes a lot I, of sense. I, I mean, I'm I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying that I didn't like Darth Vader there at the end. I love him in the Rogue One scene, but um, like, at what point are we going to be really bold? Like, because Rogue One is super bold until then, right? Hmm. Like, Rogue One was this totally new Star Wars story, and then it's like, oh, just to be safe, let's throw in Vader, and I love that scene. It's great. Um, but like, when are we going to get bold enough to just do something totally new? Oh, wait, we did. It was called last Jedi. But other than that, <laughs> we've not really done it. <laughs> so. Well, I was going to say, I think the, the star Wars fandom as we know, it has such varied interest because mm. first one fan where they say, Oh, I want something bold. And they saw the last Jedi and they're like, finally, I got the movie I love. Mm. And then other fans saw The Last Jedi and were like, oh, they ruined this trilogy. You know, you're going to have different fans on different ends of the spectrum that a a Darth Vader scene works for one guy and another guy doesn't want to see Darth Vader ever. You can't please them all. Yeah. Ain't that the truth. Um, Let's talk about, though, how this um, nightmare scene is the is the kind of like focal point of this story though, right? Mm. This sets them everything in motion for Anakin. The rest of this story is preventing that nightmare. Um, I mean, it's just so central. It's, it's everything to Anakin here. And even if you are thinking about these recent clone wars episodes and all the stuff with Ahsoka, I feel like even, even though, even knowing that that's part of the story now, that's not even in Anakin's mind. The only thing Anakin can think about right now is preventing that nightmare about Padme. Um, um, so everything kind of goes out the window for him, except for figuring out how to prevent that. Yeah. It's, it is a, it is, I think what makes this a tragedy because uh, for me, revenge of the Sith is a tragedy because of Anakin as a character and the choices he faces, because he's some, he's the subject of Palpatine's manipulations and, malfeasance and malevolence there we go how's that three okay um (laughs) but no seriously like palpatine is the guy is the guy who corners him kind of like a trapped dog and i think that makes him a sympathetic character in in that while the choices he makes are terrible and the consequences of them are extreme and we see that i think you can't have a tragedy 
uh, in, in any sense of the traditional storytelling form without having a sympathetic uh, villain, I guess, in, in, in a fashion. This is where I can't... I can't get behind the fact that Anakin's sympathetic. Mm. At all. Like, there's no, there was no time as I was watching these movies where I was, like, feeling bad for Anakin Skywalker. What about, Aaron, what about post-watching Clone Wars? Because I always made fun of prequel Anakin. Didn't feel bad for him at all. But then I liked cool Anakin and Clone Wars. Hmm. Well, that, no, because it makes it worse when you watch the Clone Wars to see, you know, how cool of a character he was and then trying to make that leap that, you know, what lengths he was willing to go for the possibility of, you know, saving his his wife and child. So I'm you not know. like a Star Wars nerd, obviously, but I have a hard time believing that his true motivations were saving Padme. Is that a topic that people discuss? It is. absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, because it is. That's essentially what George made the central thrust of the movie and his downfall was his inability to let Padme go and his inability to let go of his desire to control which I, I, I think is a flaw, but I think what makes, for me, Aaron, what makes Anakin sympathetic is that he is not um, freely choosing power for power's sake. He's choosing, he's choosing his, he's seeking a power to save Padme. And that's where I think, I, I think Palpatine's role in his life makes him more of a sympathetic character uh, in, in that way. Yeah, I, I think for me, this the sympathy goes out the window uh, pretty quickly mm-hmm. because of the actions he takes immediately. You know, the it's not things. even a year later or something where he's mm-hmm. now this more machine than man and, you know, he's doing all these evil things. He does the most despicable evil things within minutes of turning, quote unquote, turning to the dark side mm-hmm. um, to save Padme. You know, he's killing kids, you know, like in... This is Anakin Skywalker. This is the the hero that we've been watching, and the you know, I don't know. Like I just, I think he's cool in the Clone Wars, but I lose all respect for the character or any reason to think that he he's sympathetic when when he starts doing the stuff he does. What about his so his real his first his first dark deed in the film is the slaughter of Count Dooku. And he says, and he says, I shouldn't have done that. It's not the Jedi way. And he knows it's wrong, um, but it's Palpatine who justifies for him morally that, that no, that's okay. It's you know, he's too dangerous to be kept alive. And then the next time, or the next great sin we see is his, which we'll see shortly, is him slaughtering uh, Mace Windu. Um, but at the end of that, he's his uh, in anguish. He exclaims. What have I done? And to me, that that tells me Anakin is someone who sees the wrong he is committing and is making excuses for it. He's not he's not the um, chaotic villain who's the Joker. He's not he you know he's not the Joker. He's not Palpatine. He's not I don't know Darth Vader from the first film. Um, you see that sort of back and forth moral battle that I think that he loses. So I guess I, I see him losing his sense of 
uh, right and wrong and losing his way through the film. But to your point, Aaron, he definitely <laughs> loses it pretty fast. Like, there's not a lot of runway between him uh, choosing to kill Mace Windu to save Palpatine and then slaughtering the entire Jedi Order. Like, that's a, that's within an hour. Yeah, that's been the the part of Revenge of the Sith that has always been just uh, hard to swallow is how abrupt everything happens with him. Um, yeah, and and again, like that's where uh, the the novel just makes this story so much better. Um, so, Aaron, I I really appreciate your point about how you just don't find him sympathetic. Um, I think I inevitably always have just because he's the hero of this story and just in a very surface level way it's like yeah of course i'm gonna root for him and feel bad for him and and, and sympathy but i think you have a very strong point Aaron, that like there's nothing really in the movie story that gives us reason to find him sympathetic um because whenever something bad happens to him he reacts like a child right you know i mean he slaughters tuscan raiders because they killed his mom he slaughters children because he somehow thinks that'll unlock power to save his wife. <laughs> like, right? Like the 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 movie canon information definitely could make you rise raise your eyebrow pretty quickly. The thing I appreciate about the the book um, is how much we get to see the way the way that Palpatine has been milking him and been nursing him, and 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 the particulars of that. And one of the one of the particulars in the the novel that's not ever made explicit in the movie. I will say it's it's kind of touched on a lot though in the Clone Wars series, is how Palpatine really strokes this notion that the Jedi aren't to be trusted, that they're corrupted, that they're evil, that they steal children, um, right? Like he's really instilling in Anakin this this deep belief that the Jedi themselves are deeply flawed and even killing children is actually freeing them from slavery to the Jedi. Um, there's almost like there's that level of notion that Palpatine plants an Anakin in the book, but that's not here in the movie, obviously. Um, and that's I mean, a, it doesn't excuse it. If he obviously. buys into that, then that just means he's, you know, he's got some issues with reason, you know, like true. You can't say, Oh, well, I'm killing these children to free them from like holy cow! Like, what leaps are we going to here to justify what this guy does? You know, yeah. Um, and most of it, what he does is out of selfishness, if we're being honest. Yeah. Not necessarily around saving Padme. It's like, well, why does he want to save Padme so much? It's because he's he needs Padme. It's not because he's trying to save her for her sake. He's trying to save her for his sake. Yes. Oh, it's very selfish. Yes. I mean, because, you know, Anakin lost his mother, and that deeply affected him. He was actually, you know, of course, taken away from his mother, and then she was ripped from him and killed. And so now he doesn't want to go through that anguish again with his his wife that he has to keep secret. I mean, I think even in a marriage like that where you have to keep it all secret just weighs you even in a more negative way. You know, because you can't express your feelings to others and work things out. And so he's like paranoid and he doesn't want to lose her, but he can't tell anybody about her either. And I think that just kind of messes him up. Mm. We, we run into a similar issue when you're when you start looking at like Rise of Skywalker and you have a character like Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo and, you know, all the evil deeds that he did and all of that. And then he 
you know, essentially by the end, spoiler alert, turns good and, you know, is is kind of like, you know, a good guy at the end and helping Ray out. But he did so much bad before that, it's kind of hard to buy into that. And that's where, like, you start to think of how much of, at least from the Ben Skywalker perspective, like, how much of that was, you know, almost like a possession of the dark side, where a lot of his actions are almost being controlled by the dark side, because he just seems so different when he, you know, came around and he was Ben again. It's almost like two different characters. But I didn't ever really see that with Anakin. I never saw kind of like a flip of a switch where it was like, oh, he went from like cool, good Anakin to evil Anakin because the dark side possessed him. Um, it, I never really saw that. No, I'm glad you brought up Ben Solo because I was thinking that too because it's just like we were saying, like it's hard for me to see Anakin go completely to the dark side so quickly and slaughtering children and other Jedi and all this stuff. You know, but at the same time, I'm thinking about Ben Solo, and it does seem like they're two different characters, Kylo Ren and Ben Solo. So therefore, when you go to the dark side or even come back from the light side, you are two different people, Jekyll and Hyde. So as soon as Anakin becomes Darth Vader, he's no longer Anakin, as we're told, and he does make that big switch. And it made me think of it's almost like the clones with Order 66, it's almost like that chip and it just boom changes your whole percep- perception of how to deal with things and then you start attacking Jedi because it clicks in your mind and that's what I think happens in the dark side it just clicks mm. and all of a sudden you just turn George Lucas cameo uh, yeah here I am uh, right over here talking to my daughter that's blue paint uh, oh, he was on the left side of the screen he's Baron Papanoida Yes. What do you think of Baron Papanoida? Pretty cool dude. Yeah, he's a pretty cool dude. <laughs> uh, and now we get to the most... This is Ian McDiarmid's Lifetime Achievement Award in acting. Just This is where he gets to chew up the scenery and uh, has just line after line of Shakespearean level dialogue. Every twitch of his face, every glint in his eye. I feel like he's still gives the speech to himself just randomly in the mirror just to make sure he's mm-hmm. still got it. Yep. That's, Do you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? It's just like mm-hmm. every word is, is chewed on and spit out. This is my favorite. Uh, listen, guys. Dialogue in the prequels, not the best. This is my favorite dialogue scene in all of the prequels. Um, I love it. I would agree with that, too. Yeah. And I love how the camera just stays on them, slowly move in. It's not rushed. No. This is really um, the only moment in in all of Revenge of the Sith where it kind of slows down for a bit. I guess this whole kind of center act does have a bit, a lot of dialogue and sort of back and forth scenes with the Jedi Council and Anakin and... And then now the scene at the opera house. And this plants the seed that is used in the rise of Skywalker. Yes, that's true. When Carl was saying that the, uh, the episode three novelization was his favorite book. Darth Plagueis was my favorite oh, yeah. legends book. Yeah. By that's far. a good one. Yes. Yeah. So, and you kind of wonder because, because that story was, you know, not Canon now. And how much of that 
is still kind of, you know, the thought behind Darth Plague is how much of that holds up with what happened in the novel. Um, or will we ever get a canon kind of version of that character? I would hope so. Just because it's, I mean, it's so central now not to just the Revenge of the Sith storyline and Palpatine, but it's also um, central to the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, we don't even realize at this point. And that's one of the cool things about Star Wars is as the story develops across all mediums, you when you rewatch something, you watch it with through a completely different lens. Like when we watch Revenge of the Sith now, we're thinking about, you know, what's happening in the Clone Wars with Darth Maul and Ahsoka. We're thinking about, you know, Palpatine and the fact that he survives all the way to Rise of Skywalker. Like we're seeing it completely differently now. Yeah. And 10 years from now with a bunch of new storytelling, we'll probably come back and watch Revenge of the Sith and see it completely different all over again. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about how yeah. Star Wars tells their story that it's constantly well, it's not that the story changes, it's just the perspective is always changing. Yeah. Well, and that's how I feel when I watch A New Hope because, you know, it's been around for over 40 years and I'm thinking I've seen it hundreds of times yeah. yet it's always new because there's a new element of Star Wars that changes my perspective on it. I still notice something new every time I watch that movie. It's crazy. Um, I mean, and the same happens for the prequels. Not, and I mean, the same thing happened for, for George Lucas as he wrote these stories. That's the, that's the crazy thing is that, Aaron, you said that your perspective changes or you kind of see it in a new light. The story itself doesn't necessarily change. And I, I'll say yes and. I, I think the story might actually change because if you look at a new hope as an example that was a um i don't know it was a, it was a saturday morning serial it was a flash gordon space adventure um blow up the death star farm boy hero's journey story it wasn't a a galaxy-wide drama about you know the skywalker lineage i mean uh until 19 what 70 like not 1979 i think is when george finally finalized the version of the script in empire where he was going to combine the character of darth vader and anakin skywalker luke's father and make them one and make the, that this sort of central operatic story that that just wasn't the case for a new hope the the film that the world you know, fell in love with and reacted to in 1977 that just went viral before going viral was a thing. That is a, that is a completely different film from Empire, which is, and it is now a completely different film with the context of seeing the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker. And that's one thing I love about Revenge of the Sith is that it plays so beautifully into the A New Hope story and expands it so much, much more so than Rogue One. As much as Rogue One fits in on the timeline and is really cool because it tells you how they got the Death Star plans and had some interesting characters, it doesn't deal with the sort of big mythology that George Lucas had morphed into by that time. Well, it's not a Skywalker story, right? Yeah, no, exactly. So, yeah, no, I think... um, Right, that's the, the the whole point of the the prequel trilogy is to make that redemption of Darth Vader all the more powerful. Um, right. No, so I'm going to ask just a really broad question then of of all of you. Um, do you think that it does? Do you think the prequels accomplish the task of 
making Darth Vader's redemption more powerful because of this story. Mm. Yeah. You say yeah? I think so. I, I, I yeah. don't think you can argue with it because that's the thing. You 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 I, I think the core tenets of the tragedy of a, of a father, you know, turning evil are, are there, but we, I guess the prequels give a kind of context and complexity to, you know, the origin of Vader that we just didn't have before. And I think that, that to me means a lot. And, and I think it, it gives a level of, I don't know, grand operatic uh, storytelling of like, you know, Anakin Skywalker being the the hero without fear, as the old expanded universe novels used to talk about, like him being this great figure that we get to see in the Clone Wars era. I, I think that that really just adds weight to the story. I don't know that it changes it that much, but it definitely adds a weight to it. Yeah, I think there's a weight, especially to the scene where, no, I am your father. I mean, of course, that was a surprise when it was first revealed, and we now all know it. So that surprise isn't there anymore but i feel like that scene has more weight because i know more about anakin and about darth vader and what led him here and his loss of padme and the loss of his mother and now he doesn't want to lose his son he wants to bring his son to him that adds more weight than when i first saw empire before the prequels and also the end of return of the jedi that whole scene on the death star and saving luke that yes these movies help give those more weight for me in his relationship with Luke. Mm. Yeah. So I'm I will defend the, the uh, chronological order of star Wars as a first time viewing. Oh yeah. Because I think that the fall of Anakin Skywalker, like if you go in and you're completely unspoiled, you've never seen a star Wars movie in your life. You don't even know what star Wars is. And you watch from episode one to episode two and then you watch episode three, the fall of Luke, of Anakin is more powerful of a reveal than Vader being Luke's father. I think so, too. Oh, interesting. Like, that's how our kids Wait, what, watch it. What order did you see them in, Savannah? <laughs> so, originally, I don't know. I was about mm, eight, seven or eight when I saw the originals, and then I saw the prequels as they came out but i don't really remember them i remember star wars being incredibly confusing i'm a pretty smart person they're pretty basic storylines i don't know why they're so confusing <laughs> as a child but when we rewatched them last year we watched one through nine and yeah, i as a part of our pre-marriage counseling <laughs> i enjoyed i enjoyed watching them that way there are a few things like i i didn't make the palpatine connection like i didn't know much about the sith side of things besides darth vader so there was actually things that surprised me i don't remember what all i think the prequels offered you more insight and surprise that than the original trilogy because i think you remembered that more and i think that's why it kind of surprised you in that how, how much you actually liked him well yeah jar jar okay. <laughs> <laughs> but listen that jar jar is in this movie so that is true Oh, this isn't the non-Jar Jar edit? No, no. <laughs> he came by this morning. Isn't he just in the ending? Obi-Wan came by this morning. What do you think? My, so, so. You know, my son loves Jar Jar Binks. Good. I know I would <laughs> like your he's son. He's also eight. That's fine. The first time I saw Phantom Menace, well, okay, the first time I saw Phantom Menace was in theaters, but the second time I saw it 
when I was 25. I said, <laughs> excuse me for like a week straight. <laughs> and then I married her. <laughs> so true. Well, that reminds me of this, this girl that worked in her office. She never saw Star Wars. She wasn't really familiar with it. And so I had her watch them in chronological order. And she came back after watching The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. And she loved Jar Jar. And she assumed that people were huge Jar Jar fans. Mm-hmm. Like he was the like breakout star of the movies. When I had to tell her how a lot of fans reacted, she was shocked. She thought everyone would love Jar Jar. So it's interesting how people's perception is of these characters coming where you're coming from when you're coming into these movies. Well, and I think if you come into Star Wars as an adult and you're just watching it for entertainment, that's fun. But if you're coming from some sort of like a lot of people that grew up with Star Wars where this is part of their childhood and they're growing up, then it's kind of a different experience. Yeah. It's like when I went to see Attack of the Clones, of course, I'm an adult, but sitting next to me was a little girl, probably about seven years old, six or seven with her dad. It was me. And when Jar Jar came up, (laughs) he he was like, there she is. There he is. And she's like, yay, Jar Jar. And she was so excited. And I'll never forget that moment because she was so excited about Jar Jar. Oh, yeah. And then he disappeared for the rest of the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the fans were mean. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing that's happened a lot in recent years. <laughs> well, I saw the Phantom Menace when I was 19. Mm. So I was at that age where I was like jaded and, you know, I was just getting into Star Wars. Like I didn't discover Star Wars until I was like 16 or 17. So I had spent the last like two or three years just devouring all the EU novels and kind of like post Return of the Jedi stuff with like Luke and all that. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, they're making this prequel. This is going to be the best thing ever. And then one of the first characters I'm introduced to is Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> and when you're 19, if yeah. you could like develop a character that's going to be your dream character, it's the opposite of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> so, I mean, I came in with baggage, I admit it. But I'll yeah. stand by the fact I don't like the character. Aaron, you were jaded at 19? I mean, I guess, sure. I guess Jar Jar he, he was. still is. <laughs> I never, yeah. He hasn't changed. Yeah. Well, I, Aaron, you were 19 when Phantom Menace came out? <laughs> yeah. I Damn, was. you're older than I thought. Oh. Yeah, I know. That the hair, the hair throws me off. Right? Yeah. <laughs> God, you're in your 40s. I just wow, turned dude. 40, yes. Damn. <laughs> Oh my God! Dude, you look great. Thanks, Quo Han Solo. That is true. Well, so I need funny. A podcast with you more, more Carl. S- side <laughs> I story: I was literally I was at work, um, and uh, suffice to say, there was a conversation that took place, uh, and it was it, it, the the sequel trilogy came up because it was May the Fourth. Everybody's talking about Star Wars, and and I you know I didn't really insert myself too much because I'm like I talk about Star Wars all the time. But there was this one moment where, oh, what was the thing the, the guy said? He was basically talking about how all of the uh, the Disney trilogy sucked. And and I, I, I remember I called him out. I'm like, all right, you just get all of your opinions from Reddit, don't you? And he just kind of like took him back for a second. <laughs> and, I, and then I, and I said, seriously, like, what would you have rather had? He's like, we should have seen this, the Thrawn trilogy. And I said, what? The, you know, with the, with the force-repelling lizards and the Han Solo knockoff, <laughs> Talon Guard? I'm calling your bluff. I've, I've read those books. Come on. Not to mention Luke. <laughs> Rose-tinted glasses, my friend. Um, so it was a fun little cover. But it's one of those things, though, that it's, 
those real life Star Wars conversations happen on on May the fourth. It's when it's when it's socially acceptable for everybody to have their own Star Wars podcast conversation. Right. Speaking of work and Star Wars, I have a um, Porg on my desk, the one that we bought when we were with you, Aaron, at Galaxy's Edge opening. And so everyone at my work thinks I'm the biggest Star Wars fan and will come over <laughs> and start talking like super deep level Star Wars things. And I know just enough. It's like it's like I read WebMD, but for Star Wars. So I know <laughs> just enough to talk to them. And so now I'm like known at work for like being a Star Wars fan, which is like not really true. Which is my greatest victory. <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can we all just acknowledge that... Obi-Wan Kenobi's the coolest character in all of Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. He's so cool. I like Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah. You're, you're Qui-Gon. Where he drops down. Hello there. Like, uh. I can't you know, wait for the new series. It's all... Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. I I didn't even think about that till just now, Bruce, and you just got me all excited. For what? Uh, the Obi-Wan series. I saw yes. a lot of prequel memes about that. Is that a real thing? Yeah, it's a real thing. They're making you McGregor's playing Obi Wan again. Wait, for real? He's so old. <laughs> but he's playing an older Obi Wan. Oh, okay. What do you think about this? Are you excited? Have you seen him though? He looks. I mean, he still looks. He looks the same. For his age. I mean, all I know yeah. is what I see on prequel memes on Instagram, and people like him a lot. Yes, he's pretty freaking Love cool. Him. And you know what? George Lucas loves the slow zoom in on his face. That happens like a couple times throughout the movie. Clone Wars thing I kind of liked that we learned that Obi-Wan had a crush on the girl from yeah. Mandalore Satine yeah right I feel like it makes his character more likable yeah and more sympathetic right because he also still chose the, the the true Jedi path he had the opportunity to walk away was well, that part of what I don't know it's the difference between him and Anakin really like he's the. Would he's, you choose the Jedi over me? Oh, oh crap! Uh oh. <laughs> we all knew where this was and going. And that ends this podcast. And scene. Uh, no, no, I would totally betray the Jedi Order. Okay. Right, so there we go. All right. Answer. I'm uncomfortable. I'm now uncomfortable. <laughs> but does that make me immoral? Anyway. You must oh, wait for it. Wait for it. Slow zoom in on Obi Wan in three, two, one, go. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. Look at those eyes. <laughs> <That's> dreamy. <laughs> Ewan McGregor is one of my favorite actors of all time. And I'm not even a huge prequel fan, but I loved him in these movies. And when, I mean, once again, we our minds would have been blown if we were watching this movie. And then they were like, oh, by the way, in like however many years, they're going to have a whole movie series or a whole TV series with this guy, with this guy played by Ewan McGregor. Like, none of us would have believed that. <laughs> yeah. And it's his friend, Boga. My, this is, um, I remember getting this Lego set when it came out for my birthday. <laughs> the Boga uh, Obi-Wan set. It was, it was so, it was so it was the coolest thing ever. Anyway. <laughs> what's this, what's the, th- the name of the thing that Grievous is riding around? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, There's an official name for a, it, I'm sure. A something cycle, a unicycle. I don't know. <laughs> Wheel bike. Oh, it's- here's the here's the scene. It's the scene from Clone Wars. They cut away from this moment right to uh, General Grievous has made his take on Nudipo when we begin our attack. 
Is this where the, where um, Kanan had a cameo? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. No, is that a different... no, that's a different point. Oh, okay, yeah. I know they were standing around a, a board thing like this. Yeah, right. here it is. I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. Yeah, that that's right out of the Clone Wars. I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. It's taken you long enough, Master Windu. Hey, lay off, Mace Windu. <laughs> I googled something about General Grievous, and there's some interesting response. So people always people also ask about him. Oh, here, all right, here we go. Top Google really, results. These are really interesting. So why does General Grievous cough so much? Is he sick? Why is he so strong? Why is he so weak? Is he a robot? <laughs> and which Jedi does he kill? Mm. Pretty interesting. A lot of them. And then some Reddit feeds I'm probably going to go read. Well, and we lost Savannah. Uh, <laughs> this is the this is where the age gap becomes apparent between me and Savannah. Why? It's like, I don't, like, I've never gotten my Star Wars information from memes or Reddit. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's the, that's the current, it's the cultural norm. I'm trying to find the word yeah. for the thing he was writing. Oh, yeah, that's I, I get my, my Star Wars news from the newspaper and telegraph. <laughs> like, she's determining how popular characters are based on the amount of memes about them. Yeah? Like, this is, this is foreign to me. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm not normally into the memes. I use the memes to decorate the house today. That's true. You did post a lot of pretty solid memes. I don't like so there's meme a house. there's a prequel <laughs> there's a prequel memes page on Instagram and I'd say one out of every five are like grossly inappropriate. That is true. They are a little edgy sometimes. Usually having to do with slaughtering younglings. Those memes are pretty uh, hefty. Um, but you know that's 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 true. Um, hey, the uh, scene we're watching now. This was. Uh, I, I think in the, one of the original scripts, this is where he turns to the dark side, uh, but they reshot it to uh, be once uh, he's facing off against Mace Windu and the Chancellor. Um, there were a lot of, I, I think there were a lot, I'm trying to remember, I think there were a lot of reshoots around the the pace and the point which, at which he becomes Darth Vader. Yeah, real quick, this scene here where he finally learns Palpatine's true identity, I love this set piece behind Palpatine, this whole scene, right? There, there's this epic mythological story mm. taking place behind him, which I think is so cool because, right, myths themselves are often created to be these superhuman stories larger than life. But what if you actually got down, down to the, like, reality of probably how those things played out, they were probably simple things like this, right? So, like, what's going on right now on screen is super super epic but it's just two people having a conversation at the end of the day right yeah like it's not big and boisterous but you've got this beautiful epic like panorama monument behind palpatine as the scene plays out yeah which i just find it like it's it's what a cool like correlation in this moment there's something epic like that scenery behind him going on yet it's something so mundane and human and it's like that's the thing myth myths are made of the mundane and the normal mm. yet we blow them like into these epic proportions understandably so but i i just love the way that this plays out like this is an epic scene but isn't anything dramatically over the top but then you look behind him and you see this piece of art that is super over the top right mm. well and it reminds me of that artwork from galaxy's edge they actually have i was a, thinking the same thing yeah. yeah i was wondering if it was the same thing 
because I, I remember going into Doc Ondar's and you see that first thing when you walk in and it looks almost identical. I didn't know if they tried to do a copy of it or if it's just supposed to be reminiscent. Hmm. Uh, gentlemen, we have a quick update from uh, from Savannah on her research here. Uh, uh, what's the latest, Savannah? We go to our uh, Revenge of the Sith a Wikipedia correspondent. So from wikipedia.com, is that how I say it? Wiki- That's w- w- Wiki- 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 Wikipedia. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's the, so the wheel, <laughs> the thing, the unicycle he's riding is the Sumi, Sumi, Sumo, Sumi 6 personal wheel bike. Interestingly, it is worth... 15,000 credits and it was originally a military reconnaissance vehicle so like intelligence and reconnaissance it's kind of what Riley and I do as a job um, and it's <laughs> later adopted for civilians for racing pretty interesting that's the name Sumi 6 the Sumi 6 yeah personal wheel bike I'm not sure how to pronounce Star it Star Wars is full of of things that are just ridiculous someone made this and up that, for sure and that wheel bike is definitely one of those ridiculous things but it's it's also cool. So like, there's always, there's that fine line with Star Wars. Like, what's totally bizarre but still cool, and then what's totally bizarre and they probably shouldn't have done it. <laughs> it can crush enemy soldiers in its path, but later it was adopted by civilians. So, seems pretty scary. Ah, uh, thank God, thank God. Yeah. Um. This is one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Kind of how this plays out, and I just want another one of Obi Wan's. Uh, lines of gold yeah what makes this work so well for you Aaron because I, I this is a